You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we move on once again to our third watch coverage, season two, episode twenty-two. We're at the end of the road for season two, our final episode, at least until we do our recap one, but our final uh, recap episode of season two. Uh, the aptly named Dot 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 and Zeus Wept first aired on the twenty-first of May in the year. 2001. This episode was written by the esteemed John Wells and directed by our bestie, Guy Norman B. Uh, so, yeah, some big names involved in this one and uh, continues a trend. And I'll just quickly here before we get into some introductions. Uh, actually, no, I'll go over that in a minute. But uh, it, it's a good episode. There's lots to talk about in this one. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, getting to some great stuff in this one as well. My name is Ben, and she was one fine piece of woman. <laughs> My name's Darvell, and the right to bear arms is in the Constitution. Yeah, slow was, so was slavery, and we got rid of that. Wow. Deep way to start it, Darvell. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, Darvell. Uh, we're here. Thanks, and, um Yeah, I just want to quickly scroll through this, because generally a season finale is often always written by the show's creators or the four, the run, and they are. I'm just quickly here. Every single season finale is either written by John Wells or Ed Allen Bonero. So our season one finale was written by John Wells. This is written by John Wells. And moving forward, each of our finales, uh, Ed Allen will do season three. Uh, Ed Allen will do season four with uh, another writer in Brooke Kennedy. Season five finale will be done by Ed Allen. And our finale finale will be done by Ed Allen. So uh, good to see that our co-creators are consistent in regards to the finale. It's it's generally a thing in TV Absolutely. The creators of a show will often always still be involved in their finale. Because it's their baby. They want to obviously be involved. But... And Zeus wept. This is a this is a powerful episode. I feel. I mean, it's it's kind of it's. We mentioned this at the end of last episode. The fact that this is our last episode that really won't end on a cliffhanger in terms of a finale. I mean, there's one sort of storyline that is sort of loosely a cliffhanger. Um, but yeah, this this is a, a strong episode. I'm just looking here on our IMDb in terms of rated episodes and kind of we haven't talked about this in a while. But uh, according to IMDb, this is the eleventh best episode of Third Watch. Um, don't know if I'd put it maybe that high, but I, I reckon it's an argument for maybe being a, a top 25 episode of Third Watch. Um, or maybe bit, even a top 20. Yeah, I mean, it's there and thereabouts, I would say. But um, it's it's still a, it's a memorable one. It's kind of one that can sort of take it out of this show and you can kind of just watch this separately because really, except for maybe one storyline, it doesn't really have an overall bearing. Or maybe two storylines. It doesn't really have an overall bearing on this show in general. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a solid episode. It's a good episode. It's It holds up to this day. And obviously, as we kind of touched on the last oh, episode, absolutely. our last episode that we will ever get a third watch in a pre-9-11 world. So, um, yeah, I mean, any pre-thoughts on this one, Darvell? No, other than I can't, I can't wait till we get to the point where we actually discuss how well it still holds up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously... Because I... A lot to say there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And again, kind of similar to what we did with Honor a few episodes ago, I feel there is going to be portions of this episode where necessarily we're going to kind of skip over. And we're not doing that because, again, this episode's a bad episode. I think it's, it's certainly an episode which pays to watch it rather than sort of just hear some podcasters talk about it because, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on screen here in terms of the action that doesn't involve uh, dialogue or character moments. So um, the difference is between this and Honor, whereas, like, um, I guess... 
honor is all integrated into, uh, sort of separated into kind of two halves. This is all kind of integrated into one. So, um, there's definitely a moment here though. We start off here with Sully narrating. And there's definitely a bit here in this narration. Our old which friend we're... Sully. Our old friend Sully. They're kind of, I don't want to say foreshadowing, but I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting little reference here, which I kind of find, uh, fascinating, which I touched on a few episodes ago. So, um, we got him sort of talking about, uh, you know, twists in life and things like that. And sort of while he's doing this narration, we're seeing a, a young boy. Well, we don't actually see his face or anything. We just kind of see, uh, moments of him. And he's going through, he wakes up, has his cereal, then he goes to a shoebox, grabs a like a pistol and we go, oh, what's going on here? Puts it in his school bag and we obviously see him sort of like walking down the street. We get some great shots of sort of the cops driving past. We see Yokus staring off into the distance. We see Jimmy in his fire truck. We see uh, Doc and then we also see a bit of Sully and sort of like, this is, uh, you know, Sully's narration when he's talking about sometimes something just doesn't feel right. You know, you just know it, but you're just watching, you're waiting. And through all this kind of like opening sequence, we see this boy who's put this gun in his bag goes to a school somehow he manages to swim the uh, swing the bag past the metal detector and no one sees it fair enough um and yeah the one bit that i have to say here before the credits and obviously we get this part of this narration you know it's kind of it's a nice little foreshadowing for this whole episode about obviously we're going to have this school shooting but um the fact that sully talks about Two people go for the one flight. One person misses it, and the other person is, like, on the plane, which crashes and kills everybody on board. Now, again, we know that at this point of this show, 9-11 hadn't happened. There's no way of knowing that it's going to happen. But I, I always find it a little bit eerie hearing this conversation, because while it's not it's not like Sully says, oh, and the plane flies into a building. He says it flies into, a, you know, the water. But, like, as I mentioned a few episodes ago, there are many, many, many famous stories about, like, people who were booked on 9-11 flights who were meant to be on the planes or even the opposite of people who, like, got an earlier flight and ended up being on one of the hijacked planes, you know. Many famous stories, kind of one of these twists of fate. And I think the, the most famous example of that is Seth MacFarlane, creator of Family Guy. Uh, he was scheduled to be on uh, one of the ones that flew into the Trade Centre, but his agent or his manager gave him the wrong details, so he slept in, missed his flight, and was put on another one. And, you know, Seth MacFarlane's talked about it in plenty of times in interviews if you kind of go on. And that's kind of why, like, when he ever does a 9-11 joke in, in Family Guy, people are always like, oh, you know, that's a bit inappropriate, but he's kind of like, well, look, this is sort of my way of dealing with it because I kind of was meant to die on one of those planes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, and I bet there's... I cannot believe I'm about ready to say this. We all know how much Family Guy and other shows like it are loathed by conservatives. I bet there are some of those really, really hard, hardcore conservatives who were thinking, damn, why wasn't he on one of those flights? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But yeah, I just, I just, I like the way that it's kind of like, it's just, it's mentioned in this sort of by Sally doing it again. It's just kind of, it's a bit eerie. Uh, that he says it. But, um, I mean, it's a great opening scene. I kind of like this narration and the looks and all the things that you kind of like, oh, something big's going down. Oh, yes. So. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Here I go again with my Sully impression. Th- thanks, thanks, Jimmy, <laughs> <the> listeners. <laughs> thanks, Sully, for uh, for joining us. Um, this is now. I mentioned this. No problem, Ben. I mentioned this a few episodes ago with uh, Eddie Cibrian about how kind of like he's got this great rapport uh, with Christopher, whatever his name is, uh, Joey here. Um, so we've got, uh, this scene where they're playing, uh, Christmas Scott Fidel. Thanks, man. They're playing video games. Of course, they're playing shoot 'em up oh, video yes. games. So of course, you know, this is a bit of foreshadowing mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, just, you just really, this feels so natural. You feel like this is a dad and his son. Like it's just so well done. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
it's, it's a nice little moment. Um, we obviously then are back to the Yoka's apartment that we had a lot of last episode. We've got uh, Charlie with his toys playing with shit, <laughs> telling them to die. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we obviously get Yoka's here. She's not feeling too well, just having some toast, going to get some checkups. Now, one thing that I kind of think is important to note is that, like, Moving forward, at least for the next three seasons uh, for a finale, Yokuses and medical things is kind of a thing. <laughs> so, like, just keep an eye on this when it comes to the season finales for this one, season three and season four, when it comes to the Yokuses and things to do with medical issues. Uh, so, just just keep an eye on that. It's kind of an ongoing trope for half of the run of Third Watch. Um. Uh, so he's talking about she's talking about a checkup, and then sort of says to Fred, "Like, have you had a checkup?" And what does Fred say here? Oh, you don't have a prostrate. He says it wrong. He doesn't say prostate. <laughs> it's prostate. Yeah, he says prostrate. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, prostrate is uh, prostrate is when you. I don't even remember the definition. Yeah, but yeah, prostate. But I want to. I want to actually take this moment, Darvel, to correct ourselves from last episode. We jumped the gun. Big time when it came to a scene that happened in the last episode that actually happens in this episode. Uh, so we referenced last episode that uh, Emily comes out dressed a little bit slutty, um, and then we get creepy Bosco. Right? We we thought great. We talked about that. Fair enough. It actually happens in this episode. <laughs> Sorry, our bad. Um, <laughs> when you watch these episodes back to back, they sometimes kind of gel in with each other. But uh, yeah, the last episode, uh, it only was Emily sort of in the bathroom. Oh, I'm done. Are you happy now? This time around, uh, Emily comes out. She's all dressed a little bit slutty. Um, and this is like, uh, excuse me? I don't think so. This is how everyone dresses. Uh, did I did I die and this become a democracy? Change now. Um, so like, that's where we're going to lead into soon, a bit of creepy Bosco. But anyway, um, it's just a fun little scene, though. I, I do like uh, yeah. PJ Morris. PJ Morris is a good actress here. Again, like, obviously, they just didn't think she had the range when it came down to the later stuff we'll get with Emily. But, uh, yeah, we talked about that last episode. Um, great scene here of uh, Kim just blankly staring out the window. We've got a lot of knocking on the door, and here's Kim's mum, and it's kind of like, oh, didn't you hear me? Oh, no, I didn't, and... Um, her mum's taken off the day so they can go into this. It's just a sweet little, like, you just feel for Kim here. You know, obviously, uh, we kind of know what happened to her a few episodes ago with a suicide attempt, and here she is just blankly staring off into the distance. I just, yeah, feel bad here for Kim. I don't know. Kim yeah. Raver. Doesn't really do much in this scene, Kim Raver, but still good acting. <laughs> so, <laughs> props to you, Kim Raver, for your blank stare in this episode. Um... But then we've got Sully and Tatiana, and uh, remember Sully's mum from episode one? Well, she's back. Yes. Um, here she is, and she actually gets to talk this episode. You're very pretty. Um, you know, blessed Sully's mum here. Um, Tatiana gets to meet the, the mother, um, which, is, which is nice, has some flowers. Uh, she's going to town on some chocolate cherries, and they want to sit there for a while. Oh, I, I like Tatiana and Sully's mum. This becomes a thing next season for a few episodes. So I think it's kind also of sweet kind together. of sad, though. It is, but like Tatiana's so good with her, if you know what I mean. Oh, I I know, but I mean it's it's also kind of sad that Sully, you know, has brought on has brought along someone who's really special to him, and his mom. For for the most part, doesn't even know doesn't even know they're there. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely. I mean, she's right. not even a. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it is sad, but it's, uh, it's well acted and just. Um, 
you know, we we hear her speak a little bit, so that's good. And um, yeah, yeah, Sally's mum. Oh, like we'll get a little bit more. But again, it, it is kind of a storyline that it does get to a point where they she just does kind of disappear, and you never hear any conclusion to it. So that's kind of one thing which kind of yeah. always does annoy me. With it always annoys me when a rewatch of a show with a storyline which you know is not going to have a, a proper conclusion. Um, I mean, it's not to say that the stuff along the way isn't good. Uh, and emotional and memorable and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, when it doesn't ultimately have a conclusion that really sort of closes it out properly, that kind of does make it a bit frustrating sometimes watching, uh, you know, scenes like this. Um, so we obviously then have uh, Carlos with Doc. Uh, we're, you know, obviously we haven't really had much of a conclusion when you get anything last episode because, you know, Doc Carlos weren't in that episode. Uh, we get nothing in terms of uh, what's actually happened to... Doc post Morales breakup, uh, you know, again, two hours down the road, Doc, you could always go visit her and stay with her, but no, just uh, give up everything. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> I love, I always forget that Carlos implies that he could live with Doc. It's never, like, I don't know, it's never going to happen, but he's just kind of like, oh, what are you going to do with the oh. apartment? I could take one of the apartments in the back. One of Doc's them. just like, no. <laughs> one of them would kill the other before they were completely moved in. I just, I don't, this is kind of going to be a thing moving forward of Carlos having to get another apartment. We'll see that like next season. But I just, I do, yes. I do love just like the thought of Doc and Carlos living together. I always wonder, like, I mean, again, this is just wishful thinking. We should have a lot of these wishful thinking come season three of what could have been had 9-11 not happened. But I just, I mean, I don't think this is a thing because clearly, you know, we get what we get with uh, Carlos moving out and uh, with another major character, and obviously that's not necessarily affected by 9-11. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just love the thought process of them living together. That would have been a fun storyline. Um, and this is obviously where we get uh, Carlos's line talking about Morales. Damn shame, she was one fine piece of woman. Piece of woman. <laughs> Uh, I love it when he says, like, do you miss her? That's just kind of like Captain Obvious question. Like, really? Um, so this is where we get this nice scene. Uh, Tatiana leaving the, um, the da, 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 what do you call it? Nursing home. Thank you, Ben. Uh, and obviously, yeah, this, is, the nursing home. this is maybe one of two storylines that will sort of set stuff up into season three. Where, obviously, Sully, this is kind of going back to a few episodes ago. where he mentioned about getting a green card. Davis made the suggestion. So, um, Sally's like, uh, I know a lawyer. I thought I was going to buy, I thought I might buy you a ticket. You can go home. Um, and then basically, if you go back to the Ukraine, live there for a couple of months, come back here, get a permanent visa. You know, Sergey can still live out there in Queens. Um, you know, it's kind of like, and you kind of, the one thing I will say for Savannah Husky here, it's great acting because initially you think she's like shocked and disgusted, like you're getting rid of me, like what are you doing? But then it kind of turns into her fact, like you will do that for me. Thank you. Like she's just obviously so loved up about this. So, um, the one thing I will say about this storyline, which, cause like September 10th, our first proper episode of season three, there's obviously a whole storyline about Sully and Tatiana in relation to like what they're going to be doing in their lives, but it's mm-hmm. never kind of fully explained if, at least from memory, that this ever becomes a thing. Cause like spoiler alert, the, what we're going to see in September 10th is them getting married. Well, about to get married. So it's kind of, it's never fully explored whether or not she has gone and done this and just come back and then gone and married. Because I guess we've got to look at this, that there is probably the biggest gap in between seasons 
uh, two and three when it comes to the time that's passed. I mean, we think of season one and season two, the gap between there is obviously not that long because Jimmy's still in hospital and, you know, Yoko's is still pregnant. So you're probably going to say a few weeks at most, maybe, for the, the time that's passed between season one and season two. Season three and four, obviously, uh, season four picks up immediately from the end of season three, as does season five to season four, as does season six to season five. So between season two and season three is the biggest time gap in between actually what's happening in these people's lives. So, um, I'm going to assume that maybe it's just implied that this does happen. So, like, if we've got to believe that this is going to happen in May 2001, and obviously September 10th happens in September 2001, so there's a six-month... No, hang on. That's not right, Ben. Four months. I know my maths. Is that yeah, right? Four yeah, four months. Four months. Yeah, okay. Sorry, just <laughs> working out of my head. So, we're going to believe there's a four-month gap in between Season 2 and Season 3 in terms of the events that happen. So, he says you can go back to the Ukraine for a couple of months and come back. So I'm going to assume that she does, and then when she comes back, they go go to get married. I don't know if you kind of think that, or am I just overthinking again, or what am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is probably what happened, and you know they did an they did an off screen yeah marriage. So well, they don't do an off screen marriage because we. This is what I mean. You get in season three, they they're about to get married before. Uh, oh. obviously 9-11 happens, so they kind of have to postpone the wedding and then eventually, spoiler alert, they sort of get married in a courthouse. But I'm just spoiling a lot for people here when you're thinking about Tatiana and Sully, uh, that, you know, ultimately, I guess they sort of do get married, but I guess we kind of knew that that was coming. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I, just, I just feel that she has gone back to the Ukraine to get the visa before they ever, like... Because it would just seem weird that Sully all of a sudden backtracks on this whole idea and just is like, yes, let's get married, you know? So, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's just my thought. I'm just overthinking things. Welcome <laughs> to the Oz Network. Ben does that a lot. Do that in my real life, too. Um, so, <laughs> this is the scene, Darvel. This is the scene. Bosco, in the car... They're talking about, like, sexualizing children, saying that there should be limited access to Britney Spears to minors. Again, to sort of date this episode that back in the days when, I guess, Britney was the number one pop star in the world. I'm not saying she isn't, she's not number yeah. one anymore, but, you know, she was the big well, thing. She, she was definitely, she was definitely high on the list. But uh, I do, one thing I do love about this scene, random Bosco wearing a bib as he eats his food. Um, and this is... What? If I was 12, I would do her. Bosco, this conversation is over. Is over. (laughs) And I said this in the last episode. I'll say it again. I'm surprised Faith didn't pull out her gun and shoot him in the nads right then and there. Oh, God. It's just just one of these awkward scenes that, like, again, just... As we said last episode, remember this moving forward, people. Remember this moving forward when it comes to his scenes with uh, Emily in every other season. But anyway. um, Yep, and... And Faith, Faith saying that they should limit access to Britney Spears' apparel or whatever for minors. Couldn't you argue that? Couldn't that be argued that that'll? I don't know. If foreshadow is the right word, but but that's the only word I can think of. Couldn't you argue that that would foreshadow a bigger uh, discussion that's going to take place later in the episode about what else they should limit? access to oh i mean i guess maybe the overall theme of this episode is looking out for your kids and kind of like limiting what you expose them to 
Um, because yeah, that yeah, I guess it's kind of the overall theme. Like this is kind of the theme about oh, sexualizing our children and what they're allowed to see that makes them you know want to dress that way. Whereas later on, it's obviously going to be like oh, video games and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Is that making them violent? So yeah, I mean this is a, that's a debate that everybody's going to have to the age of time. I mean this is going to be still talked about in twenty years time, thirty years time when. You know, I'm sure I'm going to have this conversation if some woman's stupid enough to have a child with me. So it's, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, and everyone's going to have opinions on it um, and things along the way. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd agree with you. I think it's kind of just, I wouldn't say foreshadowing, but I think it's just kind of like tied into the plot, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, anyway. So, we've got Sully and Davis uh, having this conversation about uh, him buying the tickets. Sully's saying it's going to cost about $10,000. Um, and kind of like, oh, you know, are you going to do it? Is she going to do it? Um, not too sure. And, oh, if you want to have any funds donated to the, uh, the fund here, I love everyone says that. Then we get the, um, the, the call over the radio. We've got shots fired. We're getting an address. And for some reason, Davis automatically knows that this address is the school. I mean, okay. <laughs> so this is kind of where the action obviously will begin here. And a lot of this stuff, again, not necessarily skipping over this. It's just similar to honor that there's just a lot of stuff going down here that you kind of need to watch and that that was where it like will make sense. So we pull up at the school, we've got kids running everywhere, we've got emergency messages going out, um, they're, they're sort of the police run into the building asking the security guard, um, you know, who's, who's shooting. We find that there's one shooter, he's white, he's got a small pistol. Uh, we hear a few more gunshots, we hear some screams. Uh, we go in the corridor, there's a cheerleader on the ground, she's dead. Uh, meanwhile, outside, there's panic in the building. Doc wants to run inside, but the building's not secure. So all these cops are trying to secure it. My biggest question here is somebody, as, as a journalist, uh, where's the media? <laughs> like, I mean, the media would be here. They would be all outside the if front they, of the building, but they're they not. they were aware of it. Well, they would be aware if of it. This is the thing. They, trust me, they're aware of it. They know. They're listening to the police. And this is what the journalists at newspapers are doing. They're just chilling and looking at police updates. So they know. Oh, they... Oh, they... Well, I feel stupid now. I mean, I was just thinking because <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, of course they would have police scanners and stuff like that. No yeah, doubt. I mean, particularly in a city like New York, where I mean, here in Hobart, we know when shit goes down straight away. And obviously, you know, I, I worked in a newspaper. I guess when it comes to the day, the age of Twitter and things like that. But I mean, nothing happens here that's you know this big. I mean, a couple of things did when I was there, but not to this extent. Um, but like, I mean, you know, this being in New York, gunshots, you know, and this is the thing too, parents and people would be calling the media. They would be bringing up the New York Times and, you know, the Daily the New York Post and be like, oh my God, it's PS 118, there's people being shot straight away. Um, so yeah, I mean, the media is there. I don't know why that's, I mean, it's just a little nitpick. Um, but I've just written here, where's the media? Uh, so I, I do like the 10, like the one thing I'll say about this episode, again, we're not gelling through this saying that anything's bad about it. I'm just going to keep reiterating that because it really deserves to watch it because it's tense. Like, there's no music. They're going down the corridor. They've got their guns. They're, they're whispering. Whispering, tapping on the windows. We've got the people hiding. Like, I don't know if I've actually ever seen another show deal with a school shooting quite in this manner. Um, I remember uh, there was an episode of Buffy that they didn't air because it wasn't. it was meant to air not long after the Columbine shootings in 99. And they kind of never aired it because it was like it was too close to home. It, was, it wasn't necessarily a school shooting shooting. It was like a guy holding himself up in a tower and was going to snipe at some students, but he never ended up doing it. But it's on the DVD. Like, you can watch it. But, like, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen another show that's dealt so sort of, like, 
really like this when it comes to a school shooting before. So it really is affecting. Yeah. You're really kind of nervy. Because and the fact you that, don't need music. No. And no, and the fact that it's tense too is the fact that, you know, this is a kid doing this. So like, it's kind of like, well, how do the cops handle this? Like, you know, if this is just a, a regular adult perp. They're just going to shoot this person. Whereas like, as a kid, like, do they automatically shoot them? Like, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, today they would. Well, yeah, probably. Uh, so obviously they're, they're going around this building. They're, they're saying that they should evacuate, wait for ESU. Uh, but they're kind of still in the building going through, kind of calling the building down. We find a cheerleader. She's been shot in the leg. Um, Davis takes her away as they're still going around. This, whoever this, actually, I looked this actress up. I shouldn't say whoever this actress is. Um, this young cheerleader. Uh, her name's Marta. So the actress is Kelly Cabak. I want to say uh, sorry Kelly if you're listening and I mispronounced your name but she's amazing this actress like is this I mean I'm guessing she's probably like what 15 very believable 14, 15 just very like believable crying yes so believable so good um, so yeah she's this and she's gone on to some big things this actress actually she's apparently a regular in uh, Orange is the New Black I don't watch that show but good for her um, and sort of a few bit parts here and there but uh, I'm guessing Orange and the New Black fans would know this this girl, but um, yeah, cool, right, good actress. Random scene there. Um, so out out comes the cheerleader there, takes her out. We've got the fire alarm all of a sudden goes off. Which can I just be honest? The only reason the fire alarm goes off in this episode is so that Jimmy and the Five Five can show up, it's just so we can have them appear in this episode. <laughs> There's no reason for this just, fire alarm to go off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and could it be argued that this is? Wait, yeah, could this could it be argued that this is the episode? I know you said that there's one episode every season where all three uh, groups converge on one scene. I think it could be argued that that's this one. Um, yeah, technically, in terms of a job, I would agree. Yep, absolutely. Um, in terms of an episode. Uh, yeah, no, I see what you think. Yeah, like, I, 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 I was going to say after hours, but I guess after hours is kind of like the Ohio of uh, season two in terms of that. It's more of them whereas, talking. Whereas I know Ohio, they're on the job, whereas after hours, they're not. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Like, the, the difference yeah, here whereas, is that, that I guess Jimmy doesn't do anything. He just shows up. <laughs> yeah, and this isn't a collapsing building. See, I was thinking more along in the realm of the demolition, demolition derby. Yeah, yeah, no, you're so. right. You know, I know what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, which, again, is something that does sort of generally get lost along the way, too, with uh, Third Watch, sadly. But, um, yeah, good point there. I, I never thought about it that way, actually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, the only reason this fire alarm goes off is we've somehow got to get Jimmy to come along here so they're all there on the scene. Let's have randomly someone put the fire alarm off. And because when they show up and they're like, is there a fire? No, there isn't. Go home. <laughs> There's someone opening fire. You know, you actually, like, what they could have done here to actually make him so he's there is make this happen at Joey's school. Then they're there. Then there's a reason. So, um, you know, that would have made more sense to me. And that they, Kim's sort of a little bit more involved in this episode, although she probably wasn't going to be effective. Um, so... Yeah, kind of just... So, ESU shows up. They're getting ready. We get a bit of music playing here now. Uh, I like it kind of we're in the corridor and, like, Bosco knocks over a baseball bat and Sally's kind of like, Bosco, is that you? And he's like, yeah, it was me. Uh, just It's just so tense, just the way they're kind of going around here with their guns drawn. And, like, as again, the viewer, we don't know what's happening. We don't know where the shooter is. Just even, like, the back and forth 
between like Sully and Bosco where Sully's kind of on the radio like asking him like are you clear are you clear on your side he's like repeating himself like three times and then Bosco's just like just a second Sully um then he's like we're clear like he just it's just so tense like again I'm wondering if that's scripted is that scripted for kind of like you know Skip started to kind of repeat it a few times and Jason Wilds had that or is that kind of been ad-libbed like oh this will add a bit of tension I doubt it uh it's just great it's so good it's so believable uh, then they, they show up to a, a locker room uh, where there's about, I think I've put here four dead bodies. I've at least counted. There's a couple of uh, injured people. We've got this loud metal music playing. Uh, then we've obviously got a stairwell, which Bosco wants to go down. But then this is where all the other cops are basically like, no, like we've got to wait for ESU. Um, let them clear the building. Send in the medics. You know, we've cleared the building. So uh, Doc and Carlos, all that can go inside finally. Is Taylor here? Taylor's in the fire truck, is she? Yes. Or is she? No, Taylor's uh, a paramedic. No, no, she, no she's a medic in the Sorry. I, yes, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. Sorry. Just zoning out there for a moment. Uh, I do like the scene, actually, which is kind of interesting because... Uh, again, sort of get Jimmy involved. And he, I mean, I guess, like, once he's there, he pulls out his stretcher. He's ready to help, you know, triage patients. So I guess there is a semi-use for Jimmy. But, like, I love that shot when kind of ESU goes into the building. You've got this gang of, like, all these armed guards. And in the middle is kind of, like, Doc, Carlos, Taylor, Jimmy. They're all kind of being, like, flanked by these, uh, you know, heavily armed cops. It's a great shot. Um, so, yeah, we uh, obviously have this. They secure the building. Um, and yeah, which I mean, suppose the guy was still suppose. And of course we don't know one way or the other. So let's just say for a minute, suppose the guy was still on the lock is, is on the locker room as everyone else is rushing in to get the victims out. Yeah. I mean, really? I mean, come on. You don't know where you still don't know where the guy is and yeah. You're still, and you're gonna send. You're still gonna. You're still gonna send him in there. Yeah. Well, I Come mean, on, guys. it's it's one shooter. You've got like fifty armed police, and it's a kid. So yeah, I mean, I think they kind of have to. They've got no choice. Um, and I mean, like this, they don't know where this kid is. So they've kind of gone around the main parts of the building, and you know, unless he's hiding in a locker somewhere or something like he's he's gone. So they've kind of got no choice. They have to help these victims, so they have to go in. Um, yes. So uh, obviously, we get. Um, Bosco, uh, they find out about the uh, the name of the the shooter. They're interviewing this uh, the security guard who's been shot in the locker room. Andy's Irish something. Uh, so then they go outside. They speak to random captain. I don't know who this guy is. We never see him before, and I'm not going to say we never see him again because we're probably in like 30 episodes next season. Knowing my uh, track record, I'm just seeing here um, <laughs> if there's any reference that says captain or anything like that. One thing I will say though is I, I, I'm assuming Mr. Ferguson. Mr. Ferguson. That was the uh, no, no, not the principal. I'm talking about the captain in terms of the cop who shows up here. Oh, um, okay. But okay. so the wrong guy. Yeah, so the one the one thing I'll say that, like, uh, obviously with a lot of these extras, the uh, NYPD uh, people and sort of the ASU guys, a lot of the cases in Third Watch, they did actually use genuine cops, like, as extras. Um, so I, I kind of think that by the looks of a lot of these NYPD guys, they're real cops. So I kind of think that's kind of a nice, clever thing, which is it's an interesting thing to note, like, obviously with, like, some of the FDMY people that they use, which were genuine firefighters. And we'll talk about this, obviously, in our 9-11 stuff next year, that some of these people who appeared in these episodes, like, as extras, actually did die on 9-11. So I don't know which ones, so I don't know specifically which ones, and we can maybe talk a little bit about that when we move forward into those episodes. But, um, yeah, I just, I kind of find that interesting. Um, so, yeah, outside, so this random captain shows up, 
I, they're obviously sort of saying to the captain, like, oh, we've found out it's Andy someone. Uh, we need to speak to uh, Mr. Ferguson, the, the one you just mentioned, in terms of uh, finding out who this kid is. So they go up to him, find out it's ninth grader, ninth grader Andy McAllister. They're going to go into the office to get his, um, his uh, address. And then we obviously get, like, uh, one kid who sort of speaks up. It was Andy, right? You know, oh, I'm a friend of his. You know, yeah, they're always picking on him, and you kind of get this cut shot to these bullies. Um, and then uh, we get kind of this shot of all the cops showing up to Andy's house. His mother answers and has no idea, obviously. Um, you know, which, yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's, an old, it's an old trope. Yeah, which it's it's kind of... It's it's sad, but, like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's one of these things that, like, in the opening sequences when you're seeing his mum about how... You know, it's not always like these deranged kids with mental, uh, you know, illnesses and who have been abused and like, you know, just the ongoing media backlash that will come with one of these mass shootings. Like sometimes it can just be a regular kid that no one knows because they were getting picked on at school. So, uh, and I kind yep. of like, I like there's a scene where Bosco says, where he's like, I don't agree with it, but I understand. I'm going to say that right so now. I'm exactly the same as Bosco there. Like, I mean, I got, yep, same, got, same here. got the shit kicked out of me and bullied in high school. So I completely understand what Bosco is saying there. Again, don't agree with it, but I understand. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't. I mean, I didn't get the shit kicked out of me in high school. I didn't get the shit kicked out of me in high school, but I mean, I understand it too. And what gets me, and maybe we'll touch on this again later, I don't know, but seeing as we're talking about bullying and school and all that stuff, no one does anything until it's too late. Oh, yeah, and schools have policies and all these things in place which they want to crack down on bullying, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I'm going to flat out say there's nothing really you can do about it unless you start blatantly suspending and expelling kids for minor details, but then then people will just abuse the system when it comes to that sort of stuff, so... Um, and it's, it's pathetic how that, schools, it is pathetic how schools try and deal with it when there's really no effective way of dealing with it. And not only that, but a lot of them don't even try to deal with it. Another reason, because of who the people are, who the students are who get bullied, and who the students are that do the bullying. I mean, it's the not. I mean, it's the it's the it's the cheerleaders love them, but some of them can be real bitches. It's the athletes. Love them, but some of them can be real dicks. Um, who do? It's those kind of people who do the bullying, and it's the ones who no one knows who are the victims. Yeah, and because of that, crowds, yeah. nobody cares. And sadly, we don't have cheerleaders here in Australia for me to, to do that. But uh, I'd gladly get bullied by the cheerleaders. I shouldn't say that. That's not a very nice thing to say. But um, like, uh, I, I remember one of, the, one of the times, like just it was a random off tangent, but I, I remember one time in a teacher's office uh, when a lot of shit had gone down and just kind of whatever. That's a whole long story. But I remember having a conversation with the teacher and they were sort of asking about, like, who are some of the people who are doing this to you? I remember mentioning a name to a teacher and the teacher literally said to me, oh, don't worry about them. They're dealing with some stuff at home. That's fine. And it's like, really? Really? So that's okay? They're allowed to bully me because they've got shit going on at home? So that's fine? Great teaching there. Well done. Ten points to you. And I really liked that teacher too. (laughs) It wasn't like it was a teacher that I didn't like. It was one of my favourite teachers. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, that's that's bullshit right there. But anyway, that's a whole other kettle. There's so much yeah. stuff in this, obviously, that we could talk about on the side tangents. But, um, so, yeah, the cops are at the house. Um, we're obviously uh, finding out that um, there's uh, going to be... They're, they're talking to the cops. Parents are talking to the cops. Um, and then he's kind of uh, was with a friend, and then they've, they've done a runner. Uh, doctor's office is called Yokus here. 
Um, there's a message, obviously, they're back at the fire station, uh, the cop shop. There's a message for you from your doctor. We'll, um, we'll hear from that very soon. Um, and this is kind of where Bosco's talking a little bit about uh, the truck. This is kind of what we said in the end of the last episode. A bit of a reference to the truck that he won in the last episode. You on to Jersey yet? Uh, to try it out? No. Uh, but this is that conversation, you know, I don't agree with it, don't understand it. Kind of a bit of social commentary here by the cops. You know, uh, you know, oh, that kid had a normal, nice house. They weren't drug addicts. You know, what if they raised him all this way and kind of worries a little bit here about, like, uh, Emily and, and little Charlie. You know, you've raised them well, Faith. Hmm. Wait till we get to season four and we'll be bringing this up again. Uh- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you also have to you also have to wonder, in this kind of thing, you know, was... No, they didn't come from this kind of environment. They came from a loving home and all this stuff. It's almost like it's the same attitude that people have towards, oh, this kind of thing doesn't happen in this area because of this or because of that. It's like they're trying to, and I mean, and I understand it. I mean, because no one wants to believe that this kind of thing can happen to them or in their area or whatever. But it's it's like they're trying to find any reason possible. Yeah, well, it's 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 to, it's the go-to. It's human nature. As soon as something bad happens, we've got to find somewhere to blame. It's, it's, it's pure and simple. And, like, it's this is what we're going to yeah. get to in this scene, obviously, here, where they're back at the firehouse and they're sort of mentioning about, like, oh, it's the media, it's Schwarzenegger, it's Stallone. Oh, video games have a part to play in it as well. And, oh, Joey's been playing them. I haven't done it. Stop being patronising, you know, all this sort of stuff. And kind of it's just the, the conversation about it. And, I mean, this is one of these things that there's never a right or wrong answer. I mean, well, okay, I shouldn't say that. There's plenty of wrong answers. But, I mean, there's never an overall factor with this. And this obviously... Uh, you know, there's the brief mention about sort of gun control, like it's in the Constitution, so it's slavery. Uh, but that took a civil war to stop it, you know, and kind of just... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of just the, the back and forth here, and obviously they, they talk a little bit about how... Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's social commentary. Like you have this in some of these episodes. We yes. talked about this in, uh, season one, was it not when it had, uh, Doc and Carlos had that sort of little debate about sort of being gay and being black and about sort of being discriminated against. I remember Brandy and I talking about that last season. So every now and then it's yes. fine to have this social commentary and hear these characters talk about it, as long as it's no preachy. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, um, at the time of this recording, of course, it's November at the time that we're recording this. Um, you remember last month, the, uh, the, the shooting, the mass shooting at the uh, country music concert in Las yes, Vegas? Did yes. you ever hear about that? Oh, of course I did. Yeah, well... <laughs> Everyone did, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Well a, few, well, a few weeks after that, actually, I think it was less than a week after that, there was supposed to be a concert here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I live, um, and it was it was being put on by um, I had never heard of this rapper before then, but it's a rapper called Money Bag Yo. Never heard of him. But uh, in, in in any case, a lot of concern was raised about you know the potential for violence to break out at that concert. So there were a lot of concerts that weekend, that particular weekend. And that and the Moneybag Yo concert just happened to be the one that got canceled. They tried to play it off as, you know, a concern for violence and all that stuff. Come on. We all know that the I mean it go that's another thing people like to blame when this kind of thing happens is music. Certain genres of music they like to say is to are to blame for this kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean I mean you know, people were up in arms about oh, yeah, yeah. 
cancel a rap concert when the when the when one of the worst mass shootings in recent history took place at a country concert. This is yeah, I mean, like yeah. this is the thing with any of this. As I said, there's always got to be something and someone to blame. And like, if you ever have seen the the great Michael Moore documentary Bowling for Columbine, when obviously it's all around sort of gun control in the U.S. and sort of it's a lot no. related to the, to the Columbine shootings, and it's it's a fantastic documentary. And someone as an Australian who kind of watched this in in school growing up, we had to do a like a, a you know a research and all that sort of stuff. One of my classes. Um, and this is kind of, I think, was maybe one of the first things as growing up as someone in Australia kind of got an eye-opener to sort of the gun situation in America. And that's a whole other kettle of fish. I'm not bringing that up. But, like, there's just some great stuff in that documentary where they're kind of... Michael Moore's trying to get to the bottom of this. Like, why do we have a gun problem? Because they, like, do lots of comparisons to Canada and all this sort of stuff. And it's, it's very interesting. And one of the things with the Columbine shooters that was blamed on heavily was the fact that they listened to Marilyn Manson. So they actually... Michael Moore actually interviews Marilyn Manson and kind of... It's just it's such an effective interview. And someone who interviews people for a living I like to watch people the way they interview people and just like the way Michael Moore sort of gets a question and he's kind of like you know if you right now could sit down and talk to the kids like if you could you know ask them like anything uh, what what would you want to ask the kids like and why they maybe have done this and Marilyn Manson just kind of looks and just kind of doesn't say anything he's like no it's like I wouldn't ask them anything I'd, I'd ask them to talk to me I'd ask them to sort of like they ask me things like I don't I want to listen to them I don't want to ask them any questions it's kind of effective it's like sort of saying about how nobody listens to the kids we're all here directing stuff to them but we don't listen to them and I think just it was very very effective the way they did that um, and it's kind of like you know it's it's sort of it intrigues me sort of like how you can tie this in and, you know, we can sort of maybe talk about this sort of in some of the 9-11 stuff. We're not here to talk about social issues and our opinions and stuff like this. We're here to provide entertainment and talk about Dirty Kid. But it's kind of like when it comes down to, um, you know, things around terrorism and stuff like that. And we will get a, a very OTT terrorism storyline in, what, season five of Third Watch, which is, um, hmm. But, um, like, half the, half the point of terrorism is to create terror and fear. So, like, it's kind of, like, a lot of... And this is somebody who works in the media. I, I'm going to be sound like one of these people who just... I don't know what this sounds like. But a lot of the time, the media is to blame for a lot of this panic that ensues out there when it comes to terrorism. Because if we didn't give a lot of these terrorists and all this sort of stuff the time of day, they're not going to achieve half their goal. It's not necessarily always about going off and killing people in mass groups and running them over with trucks and flying planes into buildings and stuff like that. That's part of their goal. But it's also to create a sense of fear out there in society that we are too scared to go to a, a concert. We don't want to go see it. So we, let's cancel it because, shit, this might happen again. Like, it's kind of, you know, we, we can't bubble wrap ourselves in this kind of stuff because, again, at the end of the day, that's a lot of what they're trying to do. So, um, Ben's ranch. <laughs> and it makes you... And, I mean, do you think the media is even aware that by you know, trumpeting this kind of stuff that they are, ironically enough, giving the terrorists exactly what they want? Look, yes and no. There's there's a line of it. Like, I'm, it just depends on the organisation and the what media we're, we're talking about. Um, you know, you've got your sensationalist tabloid people out there who just don't care. It's all about the clickbait, the ratings, buy our papers, watch our shows. And also there are definitely networks and people and journalists and stuff like that who go out of their way to be over-sensationalized and controversial and are going to talk about this no matter what because that's who they are and they've got a strong fan base and a lot of the time people will hate them and things like that. So, yeah, a lot of them are aware of it, but it's, it's kind of a case of, you know, if, one, if CNN right now was like, we refuse to report on terrorism unless there's, an, you know what I mean, like, that's not going to start a trend. You know what I mean? It's kind of going to be like it's it's just it's just how it is. It's it's kind of hard to explain. I think it's just the way the media works and kind of 
if you look at how the media is now compared to 20 years ago, how different things are with the media and just... And, like, I don't want to sound like one of these nutters is like, oh, the media controls everything. But, like, whether you want to believe it or not or whether you kind of have opinions, like, you can't escape the media. There's no way a human being can escape the media unless you live in, like, the bush or, like, fucking Siberia and have no communication to the outside world. Even if you're a person who's like, I don't like the news. You going on Facebook or Twitter, you're going to see 50 news stories in the space of, like, 10 minutes. So, you know, it's, yes. it's we're consumed by it. Media controls our life. Um, and I mean, we're creating media right now. So, I mean, we're doing this right now, (laughs) creating media and people who are listening to this right now are consuming media as we're talking. So it's kind of, it's, it's a cycle that you can't escape. We're human beings. We crave, uh, information and things like that. So anyway, we're getting very sidetracked into 20, 30 years ago. You only had like what, at least here in the U S like maybe 30 years ago, you only had like TV networks. Well, if you wanted the news 20 years ago, let's go 30 years ago, because technically the internet was still a sort of a prominent thing 20 years ago. If you, if you wanted the news 30 years ago, you could either buy a newspaper, listen to the radio, or wait till six o'clock to watch it on the news that night. You couldn't go on your phone and go, holy fuck, there's been a mass shooting in Las Vegas. You would find out about it on the news that night or breaking news on the radio. They'd have breaking news maybe on the TV. But, like, if you're, you know, on a building site all day and, you know, you're not near a radio, you're not near a TV and you're not near a newspaper, you're not going to find out this news until you get home last night and your wife or your husband is all like, oh, you know, honey, did you hear about this? You know what I mean? Or you'll get a phone call. Like, Mm -hmm. just... Like, you think about how, like, that's changed. And I know when I studied journalism and kind of got my degree and everything, and we learnt about all this, about how the immediacy of news is. Like, you think about it. When that shooting happened in Las Vegas, we knew about that within five, ten minutes. And it's not just down to reporters and news and that sort of stuff. You've got people on the ground who are Snapchatting, live tweeting, live Facebook videos. They're getting this straight away. Like, straight away right now, Darvell, if a gunman walked down your street and killed 30 people, you'd be on your phone or whatever, like... I don't know, tweeting, Facebook, oh my God, there's a gunman, this is, you know, whatever. And then that gets shared a hundred times and that gets shared. News stations pick it up and then it's just, it, it's a, a common... It's a bedlam. Like, bedlam, you know what I mean. So, yeah. Um, anyway, we are sidetracked beyond belief. Uh, but this... It happens all the time. It's the Oz Network. At least it's kind of sidetracked about sort of serious issues. Um, so, there you go. Yeah. Um, but, so... We get this conversation, obviously. Then we've got uh, Bosco. Come- I love this little scene here where Bosco's like coming out of the the pizza shop, and it's like, "Oh, they've got the sports page about the urinal. Gives you something to read. <laughs> that's that's kind of clever." <laughs> uh, so um, Yokus is on the phone, and obviously she's called up the doctor. We'll hear about that in a minute. And again, sort of dates this episode slightly. Yokus doesn't have a cell phone; she's got to use a phone box or like a public payphone. So they found the mm-hmm. kid. And I kind of like, I like this point that I think Bosco makes. I think it's Bosco who says like, oh, it's weird that this kid is running away. Usually the point of this is they want to get caught so that they get famous for this. So, um, we, we go obviously to, uh, the building, uh, cause the kid's being found. Uh, this kid shot someone else. So they go in with guns blazing. We see a, a smoke grenade and then they bring the kid out. Now I've written here, why is Jimmy there? But I guess they've thrown in smoke grenades and they might have started a fire. So I guess they've kind of got to be there and back up just in case. Um, so they drag the kid out and kind of... This is like where it's a bit like... It's very like harrowing. I don't know the word to use here. But like we finally see this kid's face. And he's what, like 13, 12, what, ninth grader? So that's what, 15, 14? Thir- 
Average age is probably like maybe 14 or 15. 14, 15, so yeah. I think it's a bit different for you guys. When I was in uh, grade 9, I would have been 15. So yeah, okay. Well, fair enough. Around about then. Anyway, so we see this kid, and he's a very baby face looking kid, and he just kind of looks, you know, he's just a normal looking kid. Um, as kind of we obviously get the conversation through Yokus and that all, uh, all before. Uh, and this is the first time we actually see his face, because obviously clearly before his, ha- his face was sort of hidden and everything when we kind of had that scene. But then we kind mm-hmm. of obviously get like this just scene in the hospital where this kid is kind of like surrounded. Everyone's just staring at him because they don't really know what to say. He's got handcuffs on. He's like, I can't breathe. And Doc sort of brought him in. And just this, I don't know how you feel about this scene. Like this kid holds Doc's hand. Like, because he's just a little kid. And Doc kind of just looks at him and just kind of, like, you know, walks off. I mean, it, it does sort of remind me a little bit of, um, you know, Puppet and uh, whatever the little kid was, like, a season ago. And kind of Doc... Kenny. Kenny, thank you. Like, defending him and all that sort of stuff. And kind of that conversation he has with Carlos. Like, he's just a kid. But, like, I mean, again, this is a kid who's just committed, what, at least five deaths. Because, uh, I mean, we saw at least five bodies in this school. We never actually find out the number. So, we never know how many people this uh, kid's killed. Uh, and again, you never kind of see what happens to him. Again, this is a case of you don't need to know what happens to this kid. It's it's enough. I mean, this kid is a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid who's just killed at least five people. You know, that speaks volumes Most for likely going to be tried as an adult. Yeah. So, uh, it's just kind of, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about the scene, about this kid holding this Doc's hand. It's kind of, you feel sorry for him, but you don't. Like, I think kind of think like Doc's facial expression kind of sums it up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, going and also going back to what Bosco says, I don't agree with it, but I understand why he did it. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's it's fascinating, obviously, how they like treat this kid because you know, obviously, even when they're dragging him out of the building, um, and they're obviously doing a lot of this because he's a kid, because you know, you know, if this is an adult, they're just going in and they're just going to shoot this guy. Um, whereas you know, or a girl, I shouldn't be sexist. Girls can commit mass murder too. Yes. Is that a moment where you kind of don't care about being sexist? I don't know. Um, it's probably more sexist to men if I'm just assuming that only men can commit mass murder. Um, but anyway, so like it's kind of, you know, it's going to be a different situation. So this scene, but then we get Yokus sort of, they, they all pull up at the cop station. You know, how do we let this happen? This isn't the world I want to live in. It's kind of just, you know, you realize Yokus is going to be emotional about this because it's kids. Um, we'll obviously get a little bit more to her in a sec. But then we kind of get, I like this Kim scene. Like, I, I felt you needed this. Like, you know, she's kind of the only one this episode that we're not really getting, obviously, at work because she's still, obviously, recovering. And, you know, she's waiting for Jimmy and just, you know, obviously saying he wants to see... She wants to see Joey and sort of, you know, great acting here by both of them. You know, Jimmy's kind of like, he's seven, Kim. He doesn't understand. And just, I don't know. Like, I, I sort of joked and said that Bobby oh, just understands. kind of gets swept under the rug and forgotten about. I mean, there are the remnants. Just this scene here. I, I, I feel this is the perfect way for Kim's storyline to end this season just because we also get some bit of closure on Bobby here. And I know I'm critical about no Bobby funeral and he kind of gets forgotten about moving forward. But I just like this scene when she's just kind of like, you know, oh, he shot Bobby. You know, I thought he was going to kill me too. And I miss him, Jimmy. I miss him I miss every him, day. And it's just like, oh, like we all miss him too, Kim. He's only been gone for a few episodes, but Bobby's dead. Um, and the music here and just everything. It's just such an effective scene. I mean, this won't make our top five yes. again, but I don't know. This is a top 20 moment, at least for this season. Can I just point that out? Yes. Anything to add on it before we get to the final scene? No? All right. So we'll move into the final yeah, do scene. You... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing or? Well, kind of, kind of going, kind of going back to what I, Coming back to something I said earlier, do you think if if that if that were today, 
if that were today with the kid and the school and everything when they and when they found him, you think they you think they would have just dragged him out, or do you think they would have come in with guns blazing? Well, as I said, I think. Oh, well, the kid. I mean, uh, I don't know. I I still think they would do the same today. I mean, I don't think we're in a society today where they just go in and stare on the street. Because I I don't know. This is kind of. I think. Unless. That's a, that's a topic of, it's, it's a, it's a weird topic to talk about because, I mean, yeah. I think the cops do get a bad rap with a lot of things. I'm not saying all the things, like, believe me, don't think I'm, like, completely pro-cops, but, um, it's, it's a situation that I probably can't really talk too much about that I don't fully understand a lot of the, the things that happen in America with this sort of thing. I mean, I, we had a famous case in Australia four or five years ago where a, a young boy in Melbourne, um, it might have been about 13, 14. Uh, I don't know what he was doing, but he was like a bit, you know, something wasn't right with him. And he was in like a shopping center or something like that. And he had a knife and he was surrounded by about three or four cops. And they're kind of like, you know, put the knife down, put the knife down. And this kid just wouldn't stop. And he kept like going towards them. And then he just like, apparently like really lunged forward and just like absolutely went to town to try and attack a cop. And they didn't have tasers. So then he had guns. And one of them shot this kid and he died. So, um, you know, there was all, like, huge backlash. They killed a third. This is terrible, the police, you know, this sort of stuff. And, I mean, it's just one of these things that, like, I, you know, it's kind of like, well, what else are the cops meant to do in this situation? Let the kids stab one of them to death and hope that they can grab it and, like, subdue him? Like, uh, should the question be, should they have had tasers? Um, It's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's one of these sort of grey areas where it's, you can see a lot of arguments on, on all sides of the fence, but, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the cops are always going to get scrutiny for what they've got to deal with. We, neither are you and I are police. We don't know what they've got to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I'm not saying no. all police are innocent. No, not all police are innocent. But not everything that is portrayed in the media is also completely anti-cop, either, as in, like, it's... Yeah, it's just a... Com- com- it's a very deep issue. But, like, to answer your question, um, I don't necessarily think they go in guns blazing. If this kid is firing the shit off at them, yeah. They're going to go in guns blazing. But I think we kind of don't even hear a gunshot. We just hear the smoke bang go off and then maybe one or two and then they get him. So I guess if you go into a situation like this where you know you're dealing with a 13 or 14-year-old kid, <clears throat> excuse me, your probably first uh, response is to not harm him if possible. And I guess I shouldn't say that, that their mantra is no matter who it is. I'm sure if this is a 30-year-old man, they're going to go in with the same thing. Like They're not like, oh, it's a 30-year-old man, don't worry, shoot him in the head. Like They still want to go out of any situation, the police, without killing someone. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Know. Why, do you think they would? Yeah. Do you, so you are in the belief that they would just go in guns blazing in today's society? Depends on... Depends on who the particular uh, cop is, because mm. yes, there are there are definitely some there are definitely some trigger happy ones out there. Of course, yeah. we know that. Yeah, it's, so it's an issue itself. And like one thing, like uh, I know we've kind of said about interviews and stuff like that. And again, sort of the, the gaps between recording this uh, that yeah, I I have had a conversation and sort of sort of know a retired NYPD officer who I guess was sort of I came to him because he was on Big Brother. But uh, I sort of mentioned I was more interested in the stuff he talked about, about, um, you know, 9-11 stuff. And, well, actually, I think it might be a, a sort of a perfect time for me to maybe reach out, at least when we're recording this, and again, releasing sort of these differently. But, like, maybe we can see if we can try and get him on the show to sort of loosely talk a little bit about some 9-11 stuff, if he's up to it. I mean, obviously, we know a lot of these people probably have uh, long moved on and don't really want to rehash their memories of this time. But, um, 
Yeah, we'll see how we go. But, like, uh, again, sort of yeah. police, and if any police are listening to this and, you know, uh, we don't know if you are or not, it'd be great if you are, any comments, and even particularly if you're an NYPD officer, you know, things like that. Um, uh, again, we, we can... Yeah, because Ben has a Ben has a hard-on for the NYPD. <laughs> I kind of really do. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I was actually uh, going through... Uh, some photos the other day of uh, me in New York and just um, the amount of times I take photos of NYPD cars is ridiculous. Every time I see an NYPD car, I take a photo of it. And it's like, people are going to be like, oh, Ben, yeah. like, calm down. You've taken like 100 photos of the same car. Anyway, so we get the closing scene. Um, <laughs> yes. Yoko's home with Fred, uh, looks at Emily and Charlie, turns out the light and has this conversation with Fred. And just kind of like, we've got to hold on to our kids, Fred. We're going to hold them every day. Um, you know, and just obviously, you know, um, it's a nice little scene. She cries. Fade, hold on to our kids. We will fades to black. But obviously, in between this conversation, we kind of get a bit of a passing reference. It's kind of a blink and you miss reference that she's got a she's got a cyst uh, spot on her uh, mammogram, and they're going to do a biopsy on it. Yeah, and we're going to find out now. Uh, this is a bit and of a storyline. Close attention to this. Yeah, a bit of a storyline moving forward with season three. So um, just pay attention to kind of Yokus's medical issues coming forward. So. Um, Fade to black, that's it. So, it really, our only cliffhanger is, is, oh, what's the deal with like Jerry Seinfeld? What Next is the deal with her mammogram? On, and uh, obviously, Next when it, season on Third Watch. And when it also comes to the Sully situation with Tatiana. So, they're kind of our only cliffhangers. Yeah. But again, loose little cliffhangers, just like we had with Kim and Jimmy last season and Brooke and the shooting and, you know, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. The one question I have, though, um, and we don't often bring this up as much as I like to, when it comes to why the episode is called what it is, why is this episode called And Zeus Wept? No idea. Hmm. There's a question. Uh, Guy Norman B, we get you on the show. Um, I know you directed this episode, you didn't write it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a prominent title. You remember the name of this episode, but it's kind of like, did Zeus cry over children a lot? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know a lot about Zeus. Do you know? <laughs> the only thing I remember about Zeus is that he's one of the gods of Greek mythology. Yeah, we, I'm reading yeah, here. Real basic, real basic shit. So yeah, I'm reading here. He's god of the sky. So maybe like Zeus weeping is like is like rain. So maybe, I don't know. One of these maybe. ones that you kind of got to open end and make your own mind up. So um. Anyway, and Zeus Wept, that's season two. Locked, it's a lock. Um, we're going to get to our evil review section here now, uh, Darvell. Um, what, what are we doing? Let's go into the double digits with a bye. Ding, 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 ding. Alrighty, you're into your 10th in a row. 12th in a row total for our second guest on here, which technically is a record. Breaks the 11 in a row set by me, but um, it's sort of spread between two. But you, you can take that record. That's a decent one. Yeah, I'm buying this one as well. This is, uh, I think, my ninth in a row, is it not? Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just a, such a solid episode. It's a memorable episode. It's, it's just well acted. Really relevant. About that. It's relevant. It's tense. It's dramatic. We set a few little minor things up moving forward into season three. So, yeah, I think it's just effective. And, like, you know, it's, it's kind of third, early third watch, the way they end their seasons to me is very early ER. Again, the fact that you don't need to necessarily always go out on a huge cliffhanger for a finale. Like, yeah, it helps, and I'm not saying I'm anti-cliffhanger, um, but I just think that it's not always your go-to. Like, you can effectively end a series of television without having a huge cliffhanger. So, I think that kind of the first yeah. two seasons of Third Watch has definitely shown that. 
I think ER had no. a large portion of its run that did that. Uh, whereas nowadays, like, it's just so rare to kind of have it's an ending norm. like this, isn't it? Yeah. It's the norm to have a cliffhanger these days, especially if we're talking about, you know, a serialized show or a cable show. Yeah. It's normal to have a cliffhanger. And it's to under- the point that it's become a it's become overdone. Well it's it's completely understandable. You want your viewers to come back in the next season to watch. But like also at the end of which we haven't really referenced too much and kind of will reference a lot moving forward here is that kind of in, in that reunion video that I've mentioned several times, it was kind of mentioned in that that you know, Third Watch was a show that necessarily wasn't always guaranteed every season. A lot of the time they did run on the seat of like oh, are we getting renewed? Are we getting renewed? Are we getting renewed? So a lot of that also might come down to, like, maybe at this point, at the conclusion of season two, they might not have ever known whether or not they were coming back or not. So, I mean, just imagine if, sadly, Third Watch only lasted two seasons. I mean, you're not going to be 100% satisfied. There's a lot of things still that are left open-ended, but you can't, it's not like they've ended this on season four's cliffhanger, if you know what I mean, or things like that. So it's kind of... Yeah, and apparent... Go ahead. Sorry. And uh, apparently, after se- after season four and season five, especially, it was unknown if Third Watch was going to come back. Yeah, exactly. So exactly, and which I mean, yeah. let's be honest, we all would have been so pissed off if like season four or season five was the finale. We never got anything more. Um, so look, we, when we get to season six, and we might rag on a lot of those episodes in season six. I think we need to be grateful that we get season six and we can, like, get attempted conclusions. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to use that, you know, there are definitely some things that are not concluded and are very much left open-ended. Um, but, like, again, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. So, what we're obviously doing moving forward here, um, of course, we will have our season three recap episode, which I'm delighted to say... Two. Is, uh, season two, thank you very much, Darvel. I'm, I'm nip-tuck brain at the moment. We're in season three there. Um, very much <laughs> delighted that uh, Brandy will be joining. So, the first time all three of us will be on an episode. Start of that, Darvel, you've never talked to Brandy before. No, I haven't. And I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, we'll see how that that plays out. So, obviously, a lot of that we're going to go over a lot more of, um, you know, the main plot lines, the characters, the side people, um, you know, best, worst episodes, what worked, what didn't work. And, obviously, the, the two most prominent parts that we do in our recap episodes, we're going to rate the season. Uh, we'll obviously only hit to the second one, so, you know, kind of, you know, whether or not we're going to put this above or below season one. And, of course, our top five moments that we will come up with. Now, usually I'd probably say, like, to our listeners, hey, send us in your top five thoughts. Obviously, in the discrepancy in the months in between recording this, by the time you send it in to us, we would have already well and truly done it. But by all means, still do. Like, we would obviously like to hear what you would have put in there, so to see if maybe when we eventually have that released... Um, you would have maybe uh, had some different ones to compare to what we uh, potentially would have thought there. But just a quick little note, and we'll probably do more of a Season 3 preview moving forward into uh, our Season 2 wrap-up. But I guess kind of what we can at least do here is look ahead to at least the next episode, uh, which, you know, as we've mentioned, this is the last episode, this is the last pre-9-11 episode we'll ever get a third watch. So moving forward, we're kind of into a very unique third watch episode and the fact that it's not actually an episode of Third Watch in its normal sense. It's kind of just like a series of interviews. It's almost like a mini documentary where it's called In Their Own Words, where we're going to hear from a lot of first responders from 9-11, uh, their stories of the day. We get a bit of a sort of introduction and narration by some of our actors. And, of course, famously, a lot of Third Watch people would know that Molly Price actually appears in this as herself and is interviewed because her husband, DK, who I also do believe appears in this, and I think Walsh does as well, uh, talking about their... Yes, Walsh does. So, um, cause of course, I don't know about DK. Yeah, I just, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I've got some memories that he might be in there, but 
it's a different episode, and it's going to be one that I think kind of when we talk about, we're not necessarily going to talk about everything that's said. It's probably going to be more of a just a generic recap, and we're going to probably try and get Brandy on that one, and maybe just talk about some September 11 stuff moving forward into September 10th, which is our first sort of proper episode. So, I mean, anything to sort of add here, just really on, on in their own words, not necessarily season three in general, which we'll reference sort of in our next episode, but just, just in their own words. I mean, your your thoughts yeah. moving into it? Yeah, I watched... Yeah, I watched that. I watched that episode. Um, I only remember watching it once, and it was back when I first really got into Third Watch. You know, when I was telling you about how I was blazing my way through the series on YouTube. Um, I don't remember everything that was said during it, but of course. But by the time I was done watching that, I was like, I was like, wow, yeah. because I mean, no, no other show of that time that I know of handled. 9-11 and its aftermath so well, yeah, and we, so perfectly. And we need to talk about that. That's definitely something we need to talk about, the comparisons. Because, I mean, in their own words, I mean, probably the most critically acclaimed episode in terms of Third Watch, because, I mean, it won a heap of awards. Um, it, it won a Peabody. And rightly pre- so. Prestigious Peabody Award. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of these ones that even though it's... I mean, I always forget they actually classified as episode one. I always thought it was kind of like classified as like a bonus episode or like episode zero, if you know what I mean, how sometimes seasons <laughs> will do like a preview episode or something like that. But um, no, this is the official first episode of Third Watch Season 3. So in kind of some way, uh, Season 3 is sort of only 21 episodes if you kind of want to look at it in a certain light. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously interesting. And I, I will say, I, I don't believe it aired in Australia because I never remember seeing it until I, I bought the DVDs from that random guy in the Netherlands. So, um, and I remember all the promos and leading up to season three and kind of, I'll talk about that kind of when we get into, you know, September 10th. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure in their own words, never aired in Australia. So, um, we'll, we'll mention that. That's a shocker. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, welcome to Australia. Uh, so anyway, we, we've enjoyed season two. Obviously got our season two recap to come. But in the meantime, like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, all subscriptions, of course, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, everything else in between. It's been a lot of fun. I just, I'm sad that we're at the end of season two, even though we've still got one more episode to go. But, um, my name is Ben and, We've got to hold our kids, Darville. We've got to hold them. My name's Darville, and so what are you suggesting? We ban all teenage boys? Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.